We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 261 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I'm joined by Emil Evanesian. We do have another show coming out later in the week, but fortunately for all of you, Sergio Aguero and it looks like Eric Garcia, uh, and this is coming down in the last hour or so by the time we record this, they are officially Barcelona players, so we are doing two shows this week to discuss these signings. But first, it may not be a signing, but I do want to welcome back to the show Emil. And Emil, I want to give you the floor for a second just to introduce yourself again. Sure. So my my name is Emil Avanesi, and I am originally from Los Angeles. Uh, I spent the last 15 years in New York. It was during that time that uh, I got to know you, Dan, and uh, uh, wrote a couple of pieces for Barca Blog and uh, made a my I guess my inaugural appearance on on the podcast. And uh, sort of kind of it was during that time. It's or you know. I've been about a I've been a Barca fan for about another you know around the same time maybe about 18 20 years since kind of access to to the internet and Barcelona games was readily available. I'm fortunate that my dad was a uh, or is is a Barcelona fan from a long time back so he kind of filled me in on what was awesome about it and Johan Cruyff and the dream team and kind of all the all that good stuff. And about 20 months ago, yeah, so in uh about four months before COVID hit, uh, my wife and I relocated to Barcelona. And uh, so we actually are, uh, I guess I'm coming to you live from Barcelona. And in the meantime, uh, so I also, I've written for several years about the NBA, uh, my website for a long time. It's still still live. I do more freelance, but my website has always been uh, hardwoodhype.com. And uh, in addition, I have uh, written about Spanish football in general, I mean, predominantly uh, predominantly Barcelona for, I guess, it's going on about a dozen years. Uh, it's picked up more probably, I'd say, in the last maybe seven or eight years. And like I said, I've uh, done a couple of pieces for Barca Blog. I've written for Barca Blog Granis fairly regularly, the SB Nation Barca site. Mm-hmm. And in addition, I wrote, uh, I think as I sent you, the kind of an, an absolute tome on the 1996-1997 yeah. Barca season and uh, Ronaldo Robson and uh, an absolute fever dream of a uh, of a Copa del Rey game against uh, Atletico de Madrid. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so these days uh, my wife and I are 
happy living in Barcelona. Uh, I am a, you know, uh, freelance writing both about sports and about other things and also doing kind of communications consulting and sort of strategic consulting for small businesses and startups. So yeah, so Emil just joined us, as you heard, with uh, not only a plethora and years of experience uh, understanding and watching FC Barcelona, just like me. But yeah, the if you thought that once Frances left, the NBA talk was going to stop, it is not. So uh, Emil is, uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking a little, we're going to be throwing in our uh, NBA analogies. Those will continue on. Don't you, don't you worry. So with Emil helping us out there and as well, again, Emil living in Barcelona, he has access to all of those, uh, the papers that, again, many of you can find on the internet, but Emil is a little bit of our Barcelona insider. So we welcome Emil to the show because the first challenge you have as, as one of the new co-hosts of the show is to kind of get comfortable about the new signings that we have and kind of uh, looking ahead to what the new season will behold. And I think, Emil, before we even say anything about Aguero or Eric Garcia coming in, I think we just should discuss these signings in the bigger picture. So these two are not the ones that will change the fortunes of a title race next year. That would be Memphis Dubai or Wijnaldum if they choose to come, which it looks like they probably will be. And by the time I finish this sentence with the rate at which FC Barcelona is announcing and Laporte is announcing players, by the time I finish talking, they might already be at the Camp Nou and already in in, in jerseys. Who knows? But for, for the just Aguero and Garcia, they do address positional needs and Barcelona are doing these deals for cheap. Same thing, even with Dubai and Wijnaldum, they're free transfers. So the business that Barcelona had to do, I think for a long time, uh, and again, I don't want to drag completely the name of just Bartomeu, but I think for a long time, whether it was the veterans being paid more, I think players came in for Barcelona expecting to be paid a lot of money, and they expected to be coming on huge transfers, and I think other teams knew that Barcelona, there was a desperation in their signing. And by getting free transfers, whether it's the Laporta factor or not, whether it's Messi in the toilet of his career, you know, I don't think he's pulling strings. But I, I do think that Barcelona has made a way, even through this transition season, to become attractive. And it almost reminds me of the Brooklyn, here's our first NBA one, with how the Brooklyn Nets, they had built that that fun, hardworking team under Kenny Atkinson, and then all of a sudden... You know, Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant decide that they want to play there too because they like the project, right? And even though a project that includes Lino Messi can't be considered, you know, an upstart or, you know, there's no surprises there, but. Plucky underdog when you have Messi, but. Yeah. No, no. But I think that the transition year that Kuman showed you was that if Barcelona had lost their way or were in the wilderness for a few seasons and maybe free agents didn't want to come there. Now it appears that whether it's, again, the Laporta factor or whatever it may be, the transition season that they had showing that there is a new generation even coming through, it seems to have attracted free agents back. And I think that, of all else, is the most positive sign for me, regardless of the quality of the players. or we, you know, we can argue about the individual players, but I think the whole mission and the idea is what you know, kind of makes me positive as to get, just getting these guys to sign on the, the dotted line for little, to lesser money. I completely agree. Well, I mean, I think the, yeah, because I think, and I, I probably fall into the same boat as you. I mean, I think I, I sort of, it's impossible to talk about, I guess, maybe the last half dozen years or so and kind of everything that's, that's wobbled or just outright kind of fallen apart over the last few years without invoking Bartomeu's name. And so I, I do think, well, well, on the one hand, I mean, Laporta coming in isn't just sort of a kind of a silver bullet savior because the the problems that exist who's who's ever you know whomever's uh, fault they are they persist i mean the there's the massive debt load there's the epic um 
you know, the cash crunch and like the, the epic wage bill. And so it's something that you have to work around because irrespective of kind of what kind of a tight spot you're in, you still have to play next season. Like you have to feel the team. You have to figure out like who's going to put on the shirt and, and do these, do these things and to go out and get, yeah, so far it's uh, Garcia and, and Cunaguero. And it, yeah. And like you said, uh, Wijnaldum and Depay look like they're, if not done deals, I mean, they, they look very likely to get those guys with no outlay and, you know, Sergio Guerin, I mean, I guess we can maybe even just get into, Yeah, I guess I'm going to kind of wander into Aguero territory here. So, I mean, I was reading today, I mean, he's, he's reducing his Man City salary by, is it two thirds? Am I, Yeah, I, I believe I read that. So he's reducing it by two thirds and he'll obviously, I guess he'll get a sizable bonus if Barca win the Champions League, which if they do, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to, to give him the extra money. And I mean, to get that guy, and I know kind of he's getting older. He just turned 33. And but tomorrow, actually. Yeah, for when we're recording. Yeah. So happy birthday to him tomorrow. I know I have to do the, uh, the Instagram Photoshop now. And uh, yeah, he signed just in time where I have to do the whole birthday thing. But yeah. <laughs> so happy birthday to happy birthday to Cunaguero. And so, you know, so he's 33 now. He's obviously, you know, he's been a professional for a long time. He's got a lot of miles on him. Like that's kind of, that's well, that's well trodden. That's well known. But, and I know, you know, his, his knees are injured and you don't magically just recover like that. That wear and tear doesn't just go away because you're, you're nominally healthy. But with that being said, I mean, he, with the exception of last year, which we can write off a little bit to an injury plague season, which it very clearly was. I mean, I was just, I was looking at his statistics just for the past kind of six or seven years. I mean, even, you know, when he was about to turn 32, he scored 23 goals in 32 games. You know, the year before he had 32 and 46. And, and I was actually looking of the last seven, yeah, of the last seven years prior to this season, which was kind of a lost year, he averaged at least two thirds of a goal per game for City in all, in six of those years. I mean, I guess, you know, and, so at the, at the very least, I mean, this guy is a proven kind of experienced high level professional. Like he's just, he's a, he's a good player. Who's seen the biggest stages he's performed and he's consistently performed over a long time. I mean, I don't expect him to go back to being sort of 2014, 2015 Aguero, but at the same time, I mean, there's, there's no reason that, you know, again, the, the, the health caveats always there. But assuming a reasonable level of health, he's a good finisher and he's yeah. he's tidy in the box. He he can kind of control the ball in tight spaces. He knows how to kind of snatch onto rebounds and put the ball in the net, which is a, a frequent complaint with, with yeah. Barca strike. Well, I think, of- yeah, I mean, I think looking at last year, it's a bad faith argument because not only did he start less than 18% of all matches for Man City, Six goals, one assist in 21 matches, including two goals on the very last day of the Premier League season against Everton. But he did not only have a full a season full of injuries and dealt with COVID, but it's, it's really the grand argument of a lot of times strikers at 32, 33, that is the age where they fall off a cliff. But he's also, I think, deserving of, not to say legend status, but I think he is deserving of not only a second opportunity, but the understanding that last year feels like worst case scenario, because as you mentioned, the years prior to that, 
and all the, the just the sample size that we have that even guys like a Luis Suarez, uh, you saw Suarez this year, it looked like physically he was ready to drop off that cliff. And then for Atletico Madrid, he, he doesn't. And it depends on role. And so I think Aguero's going to, he's going to hold down a role that isn't going to require him to be a superstar. But all that said, I, I also think too, where I wonder if his reputation and why people seem to be, you know, thinking of him almost as an afterthought. I wonder if his reputation has been hurt by not only playing for Argentina in Messi's shadow, playing for Atletico Madrid before their rise to prominence, so just as they were about to get there, and then never playing for one of the top... And you have to think of this too, in the, at least in the English-speaking world, you know, the, the Spanish-speaking is different, but because he never played for one of the largest supported teams in the UK, being Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal... I don't really think that helped his profile. I think, if anything, it hurt his profile, even though he scored, arguably, in 2012 against P, uh, QPR, uh, arguably the, the most famous and memorable goal in Premier League history. And yet, that's seen at kind of this moment in time, right? It's just this outlier. And the fact that his career has basically been that uh, every step of the way. I mean, he's constantly scored goals in big times and big matches. And um, even now, his Twitch is definitely the highest profile thing he's ever done. But he doesn't often do inter- he doesn't often do interviews, and his English seems almost non-existent after being in Manchester for seven years, which is kind of interesting or kind of weird yeah, to, to know. I, I don't think he speaks English like at all. Well, not that uh, say that, well, not to say that I'm a professional football, but that's how I feel about my Spanish. Where can I speak right. and understand it? Yes, but you're never going <laughs> to are never going right, to exactly, listeners yeah, yeah. in on that. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's the same thing. And the, so because the, the UK never marketed him, it, yeah, in the UK he was never marketed as a superstar. And I think that actually hurts his case. But when you look at his numbers year in and year out with last season just being the one outlier, this is truly one of the top, what, 30 or 25 players of the last 10 years. I mean, that's how important he is to the game. If you love listening to us here on the Barcelona podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard with Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I, I, I think even a smaller number, like top smaller number than mm. 30 or 25. Because, I mean, even just going back, I mean, like I said, last year, 23 and 32 games is, I mean, objectively very good. But if you go back, I mean, and so it's not like, I feel like there was this perception and there was a little bit too. I think like when, when Pep arrived at Man City and they brought in Gabriel Jesus and it was almost seen as, and Aguero, you know, there, there was a year or two there where the, the perception was that he was a little bit out of favor and Pep was kind of getting ready to move him on and put him out the pasture. And he was going to either, you know, Gabriel Jesus would be the new striker or it would be someone else or it would be some new iteration of Pep's kind of strikerless sort of machine that he puts out. But all the while, I mean, starting from like 2013 through 2018, 19, his goals were 28, 32, 29, 33, 30, 32. I mean, this guy produces. And the, the notion that, He's sort of now look between age and injury, this could look very silly when I'm, you know, kind of the, the way the, the regard that I'm holding him in. But I mean, there's no reason to think he wasn't on the decline His like kind of per game production wasn't on the decline. He he's an intelligent player. So and that doesn't kind of atrophy with age. And so there, there's no reason to look at this as anything other than, I mean, Barcelona got a really good striker a a good Mm -hmm. and kind of proven battle-tested striker who's won things and performed in in key moments and the fact that he has both kind of a kind of a close personal affinity with Messi in addition to kind of a lot of I was actually reading I was reading an article so apparently for Argentina he and Messi have played something like 4,600 minutes together and they have each assisted the other like nine times. So even in that sense, like there's, there's a rapport there. They, mm-hmm. they know one another. I mean, they've known one another since, you know, youth level. So they, they know one another and they like each other. And then on top of that, they've playing together isn't a foreign concept to either of them. And they, they know how to facilitate one another and they've, you know, yeah. Argentina's never, you know, lifted the big trophy or anything, but they've, they've succeeded together, you know, playing together for Argentina. So I think all in all it's, and given the low financial risk of it, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's sort of all upside and, you know, really exciting. Yeah. Well, it's and if you can't tell, I really like Sergio Aguero too, <laughs> just on a, on a personal level. Yeah. Like I, I, I will not, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, I will absolutely, I will eat all the crow. I will eat all yeah. the pie, but I, you will not hear me besmirch Sergio Aguero a moment before I absolutely have to. Well, I think he also stays out of trouble. And I wonder what his role is going to be because when we were preparing for last season, and I'll do this later on over the summer, and I thought about what the expectations were for each player. And I remember going through and saying, hey, if how many goals did it take to win the Liga? And the, the unfortunate thing this season is that Barcelona, because they, they double digits more goals than Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, you can't dictate that this number of goals will win you the Liga because goals conceded is important too. So, I mean, I, I'm, 
I think the answer to how good Aguero will be will be dependent on role and then where his deficiencies do hurt Barcelona. Because as we said about the goal scoring, you can't tell me that, just doing the math here, right, that if Fati, who last year had five goals and four assists, if you potentially say that Fati could jump back up to what I think is reasonable of 10 goals, right, or 15, if he's even a bit healthy. So if Fati's not healthy and his career doesn't go the right way, then yes, you'll have to make up for that. But the expectations is that a, a 90% or 80% Ansu Fati this year will get 10 to 15 goals, right? And then for, for Kun Aguero, that with Brathwaite, and we don't know who's going out, but Dembele had 11, Griezmann had 20, Trincao had 3, and Brathwaite had 7, and of course Messi had 38, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But the point is, Messi is almost <laughs> Messi the outlier. Messi plays his own game. Yeah. Right, right. As him as the outlier... Are you, let's say Trincao and Brothwaite might not have a future or Callado isn't the one that's going to come up and Kun Aguero is taking those minutes. Now, how many goals does he need to account for, right? We're not sure about, again, Depay and Griezmann as well. I mean, so with Debele, Griezmann, Depay, we're not sure who's where. The expectation, I think, for me would be if Kun Aguero is even a sub off the bench, you hope that, and he gets occasional starts as well. As again, I, I said that last year he might have started 18 matches for Man City, but prior to that, the season before, he started 84% of matches. So last year truly was the outlier. So even if he starts, say, 40% of all games for FC Barcelona or 30% of all games for FC Barcelona, you can't tell me that he's not capable of 12 goals. And those 12 goals, I think, is all that we should expect of him. Now, my big concern is not because he's one of the greatest goal scorers, not just of the last, you know, of the last 15 years, but greatest goal scorers all time. He's one of the greatest goal scorers in Premier League history, in all of UK history. That's just how many goals he scored. Plus, he didn't even go to Manchester until he was 23. So he'd spent time banging goals with Atletico Madrid. It's not like he started at 18 or 19, like a, a Michael Owen or even like an Alan Shearer did. Well, now, my big concern... He had another 102 goals in all competitions with Atletico. Right. Before he, before he arrived <laughs> in Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's a goal scorer through and through. Now, the big issue, and I think this is going to go down to both locker room and on the field, is the idea of the Club de los Amigos. So that the biggest concern with the Los Amigos, if you will, on the field is the press with Messi and Aguero. And now the advanced metric said Messi pressed under Koeman more than he had in the year and a half prior. So it's true, though, that for all the young players that are playing nowadays on the field, a spine that still would exist of Aguero, Messi, Busquets, and PK, you do wonder, especially with them all being one year older, are they going to make the opposition look good as they break through what I can't imagine would be intense pressing and intense ball recovery? You just, you can't have four players in your starting 11 and ask them to be able to press for more than, what, 30 minutes of a 90-minute stretch, which is not the way, not only that Kuman wants to play, but it's not the way that attacking-wise Barcelona are at their best, right? Getting Messi downhill in transition, getting, especially even Pedri. As I mentioned, he, I thought he was one of the best players on the counterattack in all of the Liga this year. So getting Pedri turned with an open field is what you want. But Messi and Aguero, that's not necessarily how they're going to be they're not going to be capturing the ball back uh, in supporting one another. And I think th it's a rightful fear, Emil, that we're going to see Messi and Suarez and their press 2.0, which we know, obviously, in that last season, that's the biggest reason why I've been telling people 
I know that it hurts that Luis Suarez won La Liga, but that's why it made sense because he he made sense with with Atletico Madrid, but he just didn't make sense with Barcelona anymore. And I mean, that, that makes sense. So having Aguero come in, I think people are worried that he's not going to make sense. But Luis Suarez is also the out and out starter every match. And I don't think that's what Sergio Aguero is. Well, that's yeah, because I think it, towards and Suarez was, yeah, I mean, he was the unquestioned starter, almost irrespective of kind of form and injury kind of within reason. I mean, well, form, whether he was going well or not, he was kind of in the starting 11, unless kind of he said he wanted to rest, you know, almost for, and yeah, I mean, Aguero's not getting the same kind of, he's not going to get that same treatment. He's not, he's not at the same kind of point in his career. He's, I mean, he is older, so that can also be used kind of in a, almost in kind of a a bargaining with him or as far as determining his role and understanding kind of what it is that the team is going to ask of him. I mean, I don't think he's, he's not meant to be a kind of start 36 league games and play 75, 80 minutes a game, you know, or more. So I think you, you get him in shorter bursts. I think he's going to get starts Um, as long as he's healthy. I mean, I, I can see him starting, you know, I could see him starting maybe a third of the games and especially if he's, if he's healthy and he's moving well and kind of, and everything is kind of back together. If he's sort of, if his knees are in good shape and, and he's meshing with the team well, well, I mean, why don't you want that guy starting a lot? But I mean, I, I agree with you in the sense that stylistically it could create a little bit of an issue. And, and I do think like that, that does kind of run through the spine, as you said, where you can't, yeah, it's the the spine and kind of the structure of the team isn't going to support sort of that that hard pressing style for sort of the entirety of a game. I mean, I think you do it for, you you might do it in bursts or kind of as a change of pace, but I don't think that can be sort of your your plan A or even just your necessarily your default. Yeah, I think the best thing to get from Aguero is something that again he's done consistently all throughout his career, even the twenty eighteen nineteen season the, in that two one win over Liverpool that basically gave Man City the title. Kun Aguero scores big goals, and I think that was the one thing missing as I went through the attacking force this year for FC Barcelona, that they just did not score goals in big moments and big games. And that is one thing that Luis Suarez for Atletico Madrid did, and that's one thing that Suarez, with the exception of away Champions League matches, that's one thing that Luis Suarez did as well throughout his Barcelona career. So having a big game score, there is something to it, to dealing with that pressure and being in that moment. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, I think one of the biggest things was particularly not so much this year, but in the in the couple of years prior, you know, I mean, I, I guess the, the whole messy dependence conversation is probably like a decade old now. But in in general, sort of all of these sort of high pedigree, big money attackers would be brought in to play alongside Messi and, and even Suarez. And kind of Luis Suarez and, and Neymar were sort of the only ones that have come in and sort of accepted a, a certain a certain level where they understand Messi is Messi and you're not really here to to unseed Messi. Messi's never going to be option number two. But at the same time, they were still up for every big moment. And they sort of they had a sense of what was at stake for them as well, where there have been others who've kind of, you know, come in or sort of passed through the club that the, sort of the, the talent and kind of the, the ability is undeniable, but they didn't seem kind of, I don't want to say up to the moment because that sounds sort of lame, but 
I mean, it's it's a little bit of that, or they kind of they they didn't understood where they fit, and they became. It was either they would be ultra deferential to a point where they were just completely passive, or it would be kind of I'm going to try to do something. I have to prove that I am worthy of being an FC Barcelona player on the front line with Lionel Messi. And it didn't. And it seems like a lot of guys have struggled to kind of strike the proper balance between sort of understanding where you are on the food chain and also still having a little bit of that professional arrogance to say that, you know, no, I'm, I'm really good. They pay me, mm-hmm. you know, they, they paid a ton of money for me and they pay me a ton of money because I'm really good. And I'm going to, I'm going to show that, but also understanding sort of where you fit into the, to the whole. And I think the, the good thing is that I think Aguero for a couple of reasons, one, he's, he's so experienced. And two, I think with Guardiola kind of, you know, sort of fidgeting with, with the man, man city, with the squad and the, and the setup and the formations and who goes where, I think he's already also experienced in the idea of like, you don't have a set role. Like the, the way mm-hmm. Luis Suarez was yeah, up that, front that makes in sense the middle yeah. every week, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think Aguero's learned to be sort of, tactically diverse and sort of just kind of mentally sort yeah. of understand that his role is going to shape shift and he has to kind of contribute where he can and do as well as he can. Yeah. I think that's a great, yeah. I think that's a great counter argument to the, the Los Amigos thing where sir, that Kun Aguero had to play a certain role for Pep Guardiola. And I think Pep does have a certain reverence that Ronald Koeman obviously doesn't have, but that said at Barcelona, Kuman does like as much as you know. We in the media look at his managerial career, and I've done it many times. We look at his managerial career and go, "No, he's not Pep Guardiola. Obviously, <laughs> he's not." But in terms of at FC Barcelona at that club, he's a legend just the same. He's as far as the player, he was a bigger legend than Pep Guardiola was as a, as a player. And obviously, coaching is different, but there is there is a certain cachet to him. So, I mean, I do want to quickly move to not quickly, but I, I do want to do the Eric Garcia thing now. So, I think. People who've been listening to the show for weeks and months, as Eric Garcia was rumored, but it wasn't definite. I think I've kind of sprinkled in the argument I'm going to make, and I feel like I'm in the minority on the Eric Garcia point too. So I, I think if people know, I'm going to be overwhelmed, not overwhelmingly positive, but I did. I tried to convince myself, Emil, using all that negativity from Twitter. I tried to internalize that, or even our close Facebook group, who are generally positive, but I tried to internalize all that negativity of what people were seeing. And I dug it. I'm going to have all the boring numbers for you. So, Emil, I'm going to let you answer the Eric Garcia thing first, and then I'll, I'll let people take their, their mid-podcast nap because I have all those advanced metrics that really do make me question that I know the eye test were telling people that the 20-year-old struggled this year, but he is just 20. So, Eric Garcia, I'm overwhelmingly excited for this signing. I truly am. So I would say, I, I don't know how you could possibly, Emil, be as excited as I am for it because I also want to back up why I'm as excited for it as I am. Sure. So, I mean, while, while acknowledging that I am probably not quite as excited as you are, but that's not to, that's actually not to say that I'm not negative on the move because it's sort of, and, and I hate that right now we're sort of in this place where every, every Barcelona transaction sort of like has such a, a high kind of financial risk reward analysis attached to it. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the reality is that, yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen him play, I mean, very, very sparingly. So, I mean, I, and, you know, I kind of watched some YouTube and things like that, but I'm, I'm by no means sort of an expert, but I've, you know, kind of everything that I've read about him and just sort of understanding kind of 
how how he's been regarded in in years past. And but you look and first of all, the the biggest thing that I keep coming back to is he's twenty years old and costs nothing to bring to the club. So that's already well well worth it. I mean, just whether it, whether it works out or not. I mean, I think that's just sort of intelligent business. But I mean, I think, but when you look beyond that, he's, you know, he's won, you know, at youth levels, I think it was 17, you know, U17 and U19 or something. Mm-hmm. He's won major tournaments, you know, against, you know, against competition of his peers. So obviously he's going to be going up against, you know, sort of more, more physically mature and more mentally mature competition. Yeah. And there's probably going to be growing pains and, but I also don't think he's intended to come in tomorrow and sort of drop anchor in the in the middle of defense and just become an absolute, you know, become a stalwart. But I think he's I think he's a risk very much worth taking. He kind of he does. He looks the part. He's you know, he's he's a strong like he's a strong kid. Like he's sort of he moves well. And, you know, there's. There's no reason to think that he can't be at the very least a just a good kind of functional squad player, you know, if not just even sort of spot starter rotation player. But I I don't know where it comes from, where people are proclaiming kind of at this point that he can't be more than that or he won't even be that or he's not even worth the risk. Because, I mean, at 20 years, we've now I'm I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to kind of. Uh, sprinkle in a little bit of NBA, but I think it kind of applies to, to, you know, football, to soccer as well. I think we've gotten so used to like precocious talents being so precocious at so young an age that, you know, like in the NBA draft, if a guy comes out who played for three or four years in college and was really kind of an intelligent player who helped win games and put up big numbers, but he comes out and he's 21 and a half years old, he's he's looked at as too old it's you know why would you draft this guy like you're not getting any upside he's 21 years old and you know they're like he's being spoken about as though he's kind of like a broken down 34 year old or something mm-hmm. and you know and you get a lot of that it's and it happened i mean obviously you know i guess like messi is sort of the ultimate example and it was whether it was him or you know there's been cristiano was really you know good at a he was great by a young age and mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously more recently there's like Holland and Mbappe and, you know, you see these guys and that becomes the standard by which good young player is judged. And we lose sight of the fact that, no, these dudes are really, really rare. Like that's lightning in a bottle. So sometimes at 20, you have to continue developing and like you, you learn and you compete and you get better. And, you know, I mean, you look at a lot of, I mean, you look at a lot of the guys sort of who have been good, you know, I mean, you look at like, uh, I mean, even Jared Piquet, he played for Manchester United. I don't remember exactly how old he was when he came back to Barcelona, but so he played for Manchester United and he, he played and he wasn't, wasn't bad, but I mean, like, I don't know that, I mean, they let him leave for like 4 million pounds or euros. So clearly, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't sufficiently enamored with him to, yeah to even demand more than that. And he didn't come in as sort of the finished, the complete finished article at that, at that age. And, but then you look over the past kind of, you know, decade, decade plus, he's built kind of a a legendary body of work. 
I'm not saying Garcia is going to be that, but why can't he incrementally get better until he's 24 well, yeah, I mean, or 25? The, the age thing is the argument because yeah. Ra- Ronald Araujo is 22, which is two years older than Eric Garcia. Right. Oscar Mingueza is 21. He's a year older than Eric Garcia. A reminder, too, that because Eric Garcia, and this is kind of the precocious thing you were mentioning, because he left the academy at the cadet A level at age 17, after captaining, he was one of the considered one of the, the better captains of all time in La Masia. So he's on this team with Ansu Fadi and Takafusa Kubo, and they're probably the most famous cadet side that that, Bar- that potentially the academy has had uh, in recent seasons, next to even the 1987, you know, Messi and PK and Fabregas, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he to think that he's 20, and this season, and his 20-year season, if you will, he only played 12 times, and a lot of those appearances stopped happening. Like, he stopped getting those appearances, not only through a few injuries, but also when it became clear that he was going to come to Barcelona, and that was around December, January. So those, those appearances kind of dried up. And in those matches, in those 12 appearances this year, his team conceded 1, 0, 0, 5, 1, 0, 0, 3, 2, 1, 1, and 1. So his whole season has been defined by the 5-2 defeat to Leicester back in September and the 4-3 win over Newcastle two weeks ago when they scored three. Um, you know, I understand the, the metrics say tackle success of 57%. He lost more duels than he won, both on the ground and in the air. And he also was able to avoid any officially recognized errors that led to a goal or own goals. But just like Aguero, how we skipped this season, not say this season was a mulligan, but going back one year, when he was 19, he did make 25 appearances for Pep Guardiola in a team. Uh, and in that team, they only conceded one more, uh, rather more than one goal with him on the field just once. So every game he played in was either a zero or a one. And the one was a 3-2 loss to Wolverhampton. So they never conceded three goals with him on the field in 25 appearances two years ago when he was 19. So again, a reminder that for people who want to throw out that Eric Garcia was on the field, he looked shambolic this season. Yeah, you're probably right. In that one match that you saw this year when they lost 5-2 against Leicester, yes, uh, he was utter garbage. And I think people are afraid that he doesn't really have the, the breakneck speed and the pace. But the advanced metrics that I'm going to go through shortly just, I think, dictate the fact that he's, I think, going to complement some of the other players in the squad really, really well. So I think the center back pairing that people are afraid of are PK and Garcia. But as you mentioned with Aguero, I don't think Garcia at age 20 comes in as immediately a starter. But I also think that he's coming back to his boyhood club, to where he's from uh, in, in Catalonia. And he's going to play more than the 12 times that he was playing for Man City with Pep Guardiola. I think he's better than 12 appearances in a season. And if they get 25 to 35 matches out of Eric Garcia, whether coming off the bench or as a starter, that's more than enough for 20, and he'll be turning 21 soon, but for a 21-year-old center back who has, has all the potential that he has. But even the advanced metrics thing, I understand the defensive side of the ball, but what he allows Barcelona to do, I think... By, by going after his defensive, we'll say, not even deficiencies, but the ways that he's trying to improve defensively, I think people are missing the mark as to just how good of an offensive center back, and not talking about scoring goals. I'm just talking about controlling and dictating a game, putting a team under pressure and wearing them down the way that Man City does. Just having a team by the 75th, 80th minute go, 
they still have the ball. We cannot take the ball off of them, and they're wearing us down. We're losing legs, and these subs just aren't helping. So the other, uh, before I go through the numbers, Emil, I do want to, the final kind of big kind of argument point that I can have you respond to is that for the Man City issues he had this year, I don't understand why we're not speaking about his appearances with Spain. Because for 12 appearances with Man City, he's appeared for Spain seven or eight times in the last year now too. So it's he only played for Man City four times more than he played for Spain. And again, and in Spain, he was part of that 6 nothing win over Germany. So if you count the 5-2 to, uh, to Leicester, why don't you count the 6 nothing over Germany back in November when he played 47 minutes? Plus a 0-0 against Portugal back in October and the 1-1 against the Netherlands in November. So if you cherry pick his bad matches to prove a point, I don't know why we can't highlight his good ones to kind of, I mean, inspire this confidence in people that who, and I think the other argument is, well, Jean-Claire Tadebo was on the book. So why bringing Eric Garcia? Well, Jean-Claire Tadebo, it's not even about personality, but for some reason or another, whether it was an old board or whatever it was, those are the sins of the past, and you kind of have to move forward. If Tadebo is going to be bought by Nice, you kind of have to take that money and move forward with Eric Garcia. It's, I think it's unfair to Garcia to say, hey, this other 20-year-old who came in that was promising didn't work out. Therefore, this one absolutely won't because physically, Tadebo looks like a better defender, and he does. And the advanced metrics say that he probably is. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think the, the Tadebo thing, I never understood kind of the the way that's seemingly or apparently going to sort of end is it, it does. I mean, it's a bummer. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's really unfortunate that because yeah, I agree. I mean, I understand looking at you look at Todibo and you think this guy looks great. Like, I mean, he just looks like just a part of a, a dominant backline potentially at his best. And if he grows into that, he'd be fantastic. But whatever whatever it is that happened there, where he never got sort of whether it was fully acclimated or you know, sufficient opportunity or anything like that, that, that damage seems to be done. I mean, it's kind of like you said, it's sort of the, the sins of the past. And I don't know how much you can go and kind of paper over any of that. And, but that's the thing. And that's a, that's kind of a sunk cost. That's all happened. That shouldn't color why, you know, that shouldn't color how you view young defenders, like the next good young defender or potentially good young defender that comes along. And, you know, I mean, the, the fact that it didn't work out with one guy doesn't, that's actually all the more reason to try to find the next good young defender rather than sort of pine for, pine for some sort of kind of rebound in the relationship with, with someone else who's either out of favor or himself fed up with the club and just wants to leave. And I mean, that's sometimes there's just, you know, it was the wrong place at the wrong time and Mm -hmm. just, you know ships passing in the night and whatnot and just you know it stinks but it that that was and there's no reason to to sort of paint the next guy that comes in sort of with with the same brush it's because as you said too he's he's coming back to to the club of his you know to his boyhood club to the club of his sort of his hometown or his home home area. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's, he's only and, gone for three years. A reminder, he was he was being yeah. been at Barcelona for his whole career, and then he just got better at Man City for three years, where he became a professional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, he's. I mean, you can only imagine. I mean, I don't even know, but you can only imagine just how sort of fired up and motivated he's going to be. Too. I mean, it's he's legitimately getting a 
an honest, you know, hopefully an, an honest to goodness crack at sort of the dream, you know, and if he can, mm-hmm. if he can kind of improve and if he can play well, he gets to be on the Barcelona back line, you know, with a hundred thousand people at camp now sort of cheering. But I mean, that's, you know, that's probably ever since he, for as long as he has memories in his brain, that's probably like the thing he's wanted more than anything else. And it's conceivably it's there. I mean, it's, you know, he's going to get a tangible opportunity to do that. And I mean, I can only imagine that he's, you know, and there's nothing about kind of, he's not a noted kind of, he's not a bad worker. Like he's not, he's not known for having kind of a bad attitude or anything like that. So there's no reason to assume that he's going to come in and not work hard or just kind of, you know, slack off or, you know, whatever, just get caught up in the nightlife and sort of, you know, get sort of drift away because of that. I mean, there's, he, he deserves a shot to be very good, you know, and there's, there's no reason why he can't be a, a decent to good player. Well, and I think the expectations for him should be understanding. And I'm going to finish this with a really boring part about these, these numbers, what he's good at and the style of play that he can help dictate. He's very good at, and what he's not good at, he's very not good at, uh, if you will. I know that's yeah improper English. So in the small sample size this year against other center backs, he registered in the 96th percentile for non-penalty expected goals plus expected assists. And like other Man City players, he was also in the 99th percentile for passes attempted, progressive carries, and pass completion percentage. Uh, and then he was in the 89th percentile in progressive passes of more than 10 yards towards the opponent's goal at almost 4.42 per game. Meaning, uh, and I think you understand what that means, and in relation to Clement Langley, he was less than half of that for progressive passes in that percentile so unfortunately the negatives he was in the 43rd percentile in tackles per game which is not superb for a center back he was 51st percentile with pressures per game even for a team that pressed quite quite a lot and high of one of the highest pressing sides in the world and then he was in the one percentile not 10 one percentile with 0.52 blocks per game but that also isn't the way that man city played defensively they did not set themselves up to allow an opponent to have a lot of pressure on them and to take long shots. That doesn't, that's not what Man City was trying to funnel their defense to do. And then the other thing, too, is he is in the 6th percentile, not the 60th, but the 6th percentile with aerial duels won. So certainly that's also something that's not, not great. Yeah, but the aerial duels is really kind of suboptimal. But, you know, there's hopefully that's something that can be sort of coached up and kind of hopefully tacticked up and, you know, something that he can himself work on. And, you know, it's an area that needs improvement, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the the blocks per game, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't think the, the, the one percentile or first percentile for Man City really, I don't worry about that. I mean, I, I definitely don't know if he's good at blocking shots or not, because the thing is how often, how many shots do a lot of those Man City sides give up right how many chances are there to block a shot so i mean i imagine even you know whoever is good on their team at at blocking shots probably doesn't rack up that many of them oh well uh, well well, i I was comparing it to mingatha and araho actually as far as if we're talking specifically about blocks mingatha is in the 63rd percentile with 1.81 blocks per game and then araho is in the 89th percentile with 2.15 blocks per game. 
So, I mean, even if Garcia, even if this is something that he's going to have to improve upon, if you will, or Barcelona's, it seems like Barcelona's style of letting in more goals than Man City did means that you these these young center backs have to block more shots. So I do want to compare then to, say, Oscar Mangueza, who was in the 97th member for Eric Garcia, was 43rd percentile in tackles per game. Mangueza was in the 97th percentile with tackles per game with 2.77. He, that as a Mingetha, was still in the 63rd percentile with blocks. And then Mingetha was in the 1 percentile, just like Garcia was in the 1 percentile for blocks. Mingetha was in the 1 percentile on clearances and aerial duels won. So neither of them really winning aerial duels at all, worse than Garcia. And then offensively, that just being on the other side of the ball, as much as Mingetha was good with positional play and finding the open man and, pat, you know, he just felt natural in the system. He was in a lesser percentile in every category offensively that Garcia, for Garcia than I, that I did mention. Uh, so, But the numbers do dictate that I think, as much as I talk about Magetha, it seems that Ronald Araujo, in the long term, those two are seem to be suitable complements to one another as long-term potential partners that you'd want to groom. To two to three years' time, you're talking still a 23- and a 24-year-old center back. You know, and, and Garcia, because he can play on the left side and the right side, he is very um, ulti-positional, in ways that Lingley and even Araujo playing on the left are not. And Araujo, a reminder too, that he's in the, as I said, 89th percentile with blocks and the 67th percentile for aerial duels won at 2.87. So uh, Araujo does win those in a way that you could set up, in a way that Lingley and PK kind of win them uh, and Umtiti really didn't. And uh, and they actually make up for Alba and Dest, who are in the lower percentile of aerial duels won by, by wingbacks. And then a little fact here is Iash Moriba, by the way, is in the 83rd percentile for aerial duels won among forwards with, or midfielders rather, with 1.95. Busquets, meanwhile, is in less than the 20 percentile, even though he is taller than most of his teammates. But again, that's not part of his game. And for these La Masia players, be it whether Busquets, whether it's Garcia, winning aerial duels is not what it all comes down to. It's controlling the pace of a game. It's dictating where the ball goes. Goes. So even when the team, the other team is clearing it, recovering the ball isn't about winning and recovering that ball in the air. And players and teams who try to do that against Barcelona, it either gets snatched up by Ter Stegen or gets cleared out by Araujo, or it forces it out to the wings where now you can bring that extra man. So it's all about how you dictate your defensive scheme. And because of what he can do offensively, I think it just, it helps Barcelona out. And, uh, you know, in the uh, in the counterattack, it's always been a worry. And same thing what we just said about Kun Aguero, that if you have Aguero, Messi, Busquets, Piquet, Garcia, th- yeah, I mean, th- clearly there are problems there, but it's all about personnel. <laughs> and so I, I don't think he's going to be left on this island with just Piquet and Busquets and Messi and Aguero again up the middle. I, I don't think... Ronald Koeman's going to do that. And if he is, that means that there's something that he's improving or working on that there's some trust in him. So for all those reasons, I understand that people are negative about Garcia. I understand defensively what they're seeing as to why they're afraid, as to why you think putting all that together is going to be Barcelona continue to leak goals because scoring goals wasn't their problem this year. Leaking in goals was their problem. And Garcia on paper doesn't look like, like he's going to individually be able to solve that. But I just need to have people understand at the age of 20, the potential he has to be a part of this winning product moving forward, especially in terms of a style of play. And he continues to bring Barcelona back to, you know, I don't want to use the trite argument of the Barca way, but he continues to move Barcelona back to the way that you want to watch them. And that's kind of the promise I give listeners, that if you want to see Barcelona play the way you imagine them in your head, Eric Garcia is a part of that picture. 
And that is why I'm most excited about him, even of, of all the issues he has at the age of 20. So, yeah, I, I it sounds like I'm just, you know, propping up propaganda for these signings. But for free transfers, I, I just, I think they're good signings. I don't understand the, the Eric Garcia hate. Uh, but I do, because I, I watch the games too, and I see what people are afraid of. Sure. I mean, there's there's sort of, there's logical sort of fear and concern. And, I mean, I, I kind of take a step back and, you know, what was it? I guess maybe... Was it like a week ago or a few days ago when uh, Juan Laporta was talking about kind of the, and everyone just kind of read it as, you know, Kuman was on his way out or something like that. Mm-hmm. When he kind of talked about the sort of the end of an era and we need to, yeah, I don't even remember the words that he used, but essentially like we need to shift the project or we need to like, we need to refresh and things like that. Well, given that there isn't a, you know, just sort of a, a blank check to, to pay transfer fees right now, this that whole thing isn't a one summer project or one summer objective. So these are all kind of meant to be, I think, incremental moves. Now, obviously the hope is that Eric Garcia is a long-term starter and, you know, kind of a star and things like that. But I think these are all kind of low risk for lack of a, I mean, I don't want to call them wagers, but they're essentially like low risk wagers, Yeah, low, low downside. And this is, part of what the next Barca team is going to look like. I mean, because we just spent the last, I mean, at least six years, I think longer than that. I, I wrote something three years ago on the heels of uh, sort of Neymar's departure and, uh, and subsequent transfers. We're kind of breaking down all big transfers that, that Barca had made since, I mean, I think I went back to even like kind of 2005, something like that. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I think, since since the summer of I think it was Suarez, Rakitic, and Ter Stegen, there has been so little. There's been so much money spent, and so little tangible return yeah. for that money. Whether it's Dembele, whether it's Griezmann, whether it's Coutinho, whether it's uh, there was Arthur, or you know, I mean, I guess theoretically, uh, Marilyn Pjanic was a was a cost saving. He was a you know he was accounting you know. He was shuffling some deck chairs. And so, but he hasn't yielded much. Uh, who am I missing? I mean, there was, you know, Arda Turan, Alex Villarreal, um, Paco Alcacer. Um, yeah. uh, well, even, yeah, even, uh, even the goals, deals for, you know, like just, yeah, yeah I mean, even going. the deals for Lang Lang and TT are, they get, they get, unfortunately, they get, now they don't. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. They were great the first year we had it. And those, that, that money looks like it made sense. And now it's, yeah, over time, it's making less and less. But yeah, to your point, free transfers, it's not going to look any, it's not going to look worse. Um, and, and for Garcia too, I mean, Aguero, how bad could this be? Well, yeah, this year could be for Barcelona what last year was for Man City. It, it could be a worst case scenario for Aguero. And I think people are getting frustrated. But for Garcia, I mean, I, I don't know. I just watching him for Spain, how low is his ceiling? Because that's really what I'm at. You know, I'm asking that I'm excited about how low his, I mean, rather how high is his floor? Yeah, let me reverse that. Oh yeah, how high is his floor? I, I think his floor is pretty high. And I think his his floor is easily worth a free transfer. Yeah, I and that that's exactly it. I mean, it's with him especially. I mean, we have very little to go on as far as kind of games at at the top level. So there's as far as body of work, we we can only kind of pick here and there and sort of mm-hmm. see little bits and pieces. And so without being able to kind of definitively sort of predict the future, it this seems like the sort of this seems like the sort of scenario that's that's worth exploring because you're not out anything if it doesn't work. 
And if it does work, you look brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, if this guy yeah. is part of the next great Barca back line and you brought him back home after three years under Pep Guardiola for no money, you look like a genius. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I think moving forward for Depay and Wijnaldum, if they are to come, uh, it's interesting when I think about fit and I see Aguero and I see Garcia and I say, oh, that's you can easily see what their role will be with this squad this year. And so even though, as I said, Depay and Wijnaldum might be those transfers if they come that could be the difference in title races and winning Champions League. I mean, that is how beneficial those two players could be. That said, to me, I think they're the, the fits or the roles that they're going to play are the ones that I worry about a little bit more, right? They're the ones that I'm worrying are going to block younger talents that Barca already have. They're the ones that I, I think are potentially going to get in the way, or they're the ones that I don't necessarily fit in uh, the style that Barca, in this ideal perfect world of FC Barcelona playing the way that we all want them to. They're the two that I think could potentially, if things go wrong, get in the way of that, or they could enhance that. So I think the arguments as to the, the high risk and the, the risk and the rewards of some of these transfers and bringing these players, I think with Depay and Wijnaldum, they're going to be the ones that the reward is going to be greater for bringing those two in this summer. But I think if things go wrong, it's going to look worse, even if they are free transfers. But I think we're going to have time, Emil, to talk about that, because I think that'll wrap up this show. I, I want to thank you for joining me. Yeah, we have Wijnaldum, we have Dubai potentially, and who else knows? And the, the other thing that Laporta keeps mentioning is he's talking about exits. He mentions at every press conference that, you know, don't get attached to everybody in the squad because not everyone's going to be here next year. And you understand that. So we are going to be talking plenty about exits as well, I think, in the coming weeks. And if it's any rate, Emil, about the, uh, the, the, the number of signings we already had this week in Aguero and Garcia, well, you do have another show coming out this week. It's not going to be about transfers. So if Barca signs one player every day of this week and they start to have players leave, well, uh, yeah, it seems like business is going to be happening fast, but we'll, we'll be talking about it next week. That sounds great. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I do think so. I mean, I think the exits have been sort of the, that, that's been what's been kind of bandied about so much. And all of it is kind of rumor and conjecture and so little of it has actually happened that I think we're kind of at that point where it's going to, like the, the, the rubber is going to meet the road with, with the exits kind of soon in the next few weeks, I think. Yep. Yeah. And as I said, we kind of close it with the Feliz Cumpleaños tomorrow to said to Cuneguero. Uh, he'll be 33, which, yeah, it, it, it worries you a little bit. But nevertheless, we'll see what he and Garcia can provide and we'll continue to break down what and the role that they could fit in the team as the summer goes on. So again, that'll wrap another show. You can find us on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod. You can also follow both of us, both Emil and I individually. And Instagram, we're also at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Sacer group, the Barcelona Podcast, you can ask questions as well as have a discussion. That's where I learned so much about the negativity involving uh, Eric Garcia. So thank you to our listener group there for letting me kind of know what the group think is. Uh, then Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciated. You can listen to these shows without the ads over there as well. So little incentive to support the show. And we are on YouTube at the Barcelona Podcast. And most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.